Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. This is another one of those true crime cases where if it played out on the big screen, you would think that the storyline was far too wild to ever be true. Unfortunately, what 17-year-old Daniel LaPlante did to pregnant mother of two, Priscilla Gustafsson, was very real. It's unimaginable that a young man at his age could do something so sickening, but Daniel wasn't new to causing people terrible pain. He had worked his way up to a triple homicide by stalking a young woman, even going as far as to live in the walls of her home. I'm not joking when I say that this is one of the most shocking true crime cases that I've covered. For obvious reasons, the story of Daniel LaPlante and his crimes comes with a huge trigger warning for sexual assault and the murder of children. Okay, let's jump right in. 
Before Daniel LaPlante was a complete waste of space, he was a little boy who was born on May 16, 1970, and he grew up in Townsend, Massachusetts. Sadly, this is where an innocent child would be shaped into the monster that he would ultimately become. Daniel alleges that he was sexually abused by both his biological father and his stepfather. He really struggled in school, both with his grades as a result of being dyslexic and with making friends. In the 70s, people didn't really keep an eye out for learning disabilities like dyslexia. So, while Daniel struggled to keep up with his peers, the teachers deemed him as being unintelligent. He was also bullied relentlessly, with many of the kids at school calling him weird, creepy, and smelly. Kids can be really harsh. Daniel's hygiene was terrible, and he would come to school in dirty clothing. But you can't blame a child in this type of situation. A dirty child is the responsibility of their parents, and in Daniel's case, he was very clearly being neglected. Daniel's mother and father would split up, and when he was a teenager, his mother Elaine would marry his stepfather David Moore. He lived in a home with them both, along with his two brothers, where he continued to be sexually and physically abused. The signs were all there that something was not right at home, However, for many years, it went unchecked by school authorities. After years of suffering, the school finally stepped in and recommended that Daniel see a psychiatrist. He would be diagnosed with hyperactive disorder, which wasn't really helping his situation. This could have been an opportunity for Daniel to confide in someone about what was going on and to try to get some help, but instead, it's alleged that this psychiatrist began sexually abusing him as well. There were basically no adults in his life that he could trust. Daniel LaPlante was doomed from the very beginning. It's not an excuse, it's just a reason. He couldn't stop what the adults in his life were doing to him, so he lashed out in very destructive ways. He began breaking into the neighborhood homes and stealing cash and jewelry. Sometimes, he didn't bother to take anything at all, but he would just move things around to make it known that he had been there. He would take food out of the fridge or open a drink and leave it on the counter. He would leave things half-eaten. This kind of behavior gives you a glimpse into how his mind worked. Daniel enjoyed seeing other people afraid. He received satisfaction out of hurting others. For him, just knowing that the residents were terrified that someone had been in their home, well, that was payoff enough for him. In 1986, when Daniel was 16 years old, he became obsessed with a 15-year-old young girl named Tina Bowen. Tina had lived in the same town as Daniel, along with her father and her 9-year-old little sister, Karen. Tina's mother had tragically passed away from cancer, so her father was now their sole care provider, and he had been having to juggle between work and the home. For this reason, he wasn't really around a whole lot, and Tina was responsible for looking after her little sister. Like most 15-year-old girls her age, she had an interest in boys, and she wanted to start dating. So when she began receiving telephone calls from an unknown teenage boy named Danny, she was really excited. Danny was, of course, Daniel LaPlante, and it's likely that he had broken into Tina's family home to gather more information about her to use on that phone call. It's also unclear exactly how he was able to obtain Tina's phone number to begin with. It likely wasn't in an ethical manner. 
Tina believed the story that Danny gave her. He told her that he had gotten her phone number from a mutual friend who went to the same school as she did. He also told her that he was tall, muscular, and athletic, and that he had blonde hair. None of this was true, of course. Physically, he couldn't be further than how he had described, but Danny wanted to make sure that he secured a date with Tina. The pair would chat for hours on the phone, with Tina telling Daniel all about her life. Daniel tried to convince Tina to go on a date with him to the fair. She was a little bit reluctant at first, but ultimately, she agreed. But she was shocked when he showed up on her doorstep to pick her up. The supposed blonde, athletic young man that she had fallen for was actually a frumpy guy with greasy hair and dirty clothing. But it was too late for Tina to change her mind at this point, so she reluctantly went with him to the fair. They only stayed about an hour before Tina made every excuse in the book to get back home. During their date at the fair, Tina talked about how her mother had died from cancer. According to Tina, she found it strange how morbidly curious Daniel was about her mother's death. He would bring it up in the conversation, even when they were talking about something completely different. He wanted to know everything about how it happened and how she felt at the time. Maybe it came off as him caring and so she didn't really think about it too much, but I'm not sure that Danny could ever really care for anyone. When the date was over, Tina rushed home and vowed to never see or speak with Daniel again. But Daniel made sure that that wasn't the case. What he would do is not only completely bizarre, but it's incredibly cruel. Tina and her little sister Karen really struggled with their mother's early death from cancer. They had always been close, but they had become even more connected since their mother's death. They really leaned on one another. One night when Tina was particularly missing her mother, she begged Karen to have a seance with her. She wanted to see if they could communicate with their mother's ghost. Reluctantly, little Karen agreed and the girls attempted their connection to the spirit world in the basement. They turned down the lights and they lit some candles and while they were both hopeful that they might connect with their mother's ghost, they knew that the likeliness of that happening was very low. So they were mostly just playing around. It was a quiet, uneventful seance. However, later that night, as both girls lie in bed trying to get to sleep, they heard a tapping sound on their wall. It wasn't a random tapping. It sounded rhythmic and intentional, as if someone were trying to communicate with them. They truly believed that this had to be their mother connecting with them after that seance. And at first, they were really excited, believing that this had to be their mother that they missed so much. They believed that they were talking to her from beyond the grave. But then the tapping became incessant. It would happen constantly at night or when they were alone, and it was beginning to disturb their peace. Their excitement quickly turned to fear when they discovered messages scrawled in different areas of the home it looked like it was written in blood and it said things like, I'm in your room and come find me. They would also come home from school to discover that objects in their room had been moved or things had been tossed around. Tina and Karen didn't believe that this could be the spirit of their mother. Their mother would never do anything to scare them. Instead, they thought that it had to be a demonic presence or a poltergeist. They tried to tell their father what was happening since the seance, but 
He just didn't believe them. He thought that they were just lashing out, making things up because they were still grieving the loss of their mother. It became a common occurrence for the girls to hear noises and find things in their home disturbed. They would keep calling their father, crying, and have him not believe their story at all. However, one night, all of that would change. As usual, Tina heard knocking sounds coming from her bedroom wall. When she entered the room, she immediately spotted a message, and it appeared to be written in blood, and it said, I'm back. Find me if you can. Terrified, they ran to their neighbor's house to call their father at work. He came home, fully expecting to be grounding his daughters for acting out again and making all of this up. But when he saw the state of the home with all of their family belongings just thrown around the house, he couldn't deny that it was clear someone had been there. He walked into Tina's room to find another bloody message had been written on the wall. This time it said, marry me. Across from that was Daniel standing there dressed in Tina's mother's clothing. Yes, Tina's mother's clothing. That's right. He was wearing the clothing of their mother who had died from cancer. Additionally, he was wearing a blonde wig and he had makeup on to look similar to how she would have looked. The most terrifying part was the hatchet that he was holding in one of his hands. If you're not terrified of the scene that I just described for you, then you're hard as hell. The imagery is the stuff that nightmares are made of. It became clear in that moment that Daniel LaPlante was the one behind all of the tapping, the moving of the items in the house, and the messages scrawled on the wall. Now he was in the home with a hatchet, and who knows what he was planning to do next. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. 
Tina's father moved quickly to try to disarm him, but in the blink of an eye, Daniel seemingly disappeared and just got away from him. When the police were called to the home, it became apparent why. Daniel was hiding in a small crawl space that was located behind a cupboard in Tina's room. This is where he would hide at night while he was tapping on the wall. But this wasn't the only area of the home where Daniel could hide. There was an entire tunnelway behind the walls of the home where he would move through room to room without ever being seen. Then, in several of the rooms, including Tina's bedroom, there was a peephole drilled through the wall where Daniel could just watch. As for those bloody messages, thankfully, they had actually been written in ketchup, which may be the only upside here. So why was Daniel standing there that night in Tina's room with a hatchet? Well, we don't really know for sure, but with future events, one can safely assume that he was likely going to harm them after torturing them by dressing up as their dead mother. These girls were very lucky to walk away with their life that night. Daniel was arrested and charged with four counts of kidnapping, four counts of armed assault in a dwelling, breaking and entering of a dwelling, larceny of more than $100, and malicious destruction of property. He was only 16 years old at the time, so he was placed in a juvenile detention center. For whatever reason, the prosecution decided to charge him as an adult, and this meant that he was able to post bail. If he were charged as a juvenile, he would have remained behind bars. I mention this because Daniel borrowed money from his mother and he walked free. Then he would go on to commit horrendous crimes against a pregnant woman and her children. During the time that he did spend behind bars, jail was not rehabilitative. Daniel went back to his life as a delinquent almost immediately after his release in October of 1987. He started off with petty theft again, breaking into homes and taking any valuables, including money, jewelry, and even two guns. And as usual, he would move things around, eat their food, drink their drinks, and leave trash. He never ventured far, often hitting homes that were in close proximity to his own residence. Daniel did this for a while, jumping from home to home, stealing things and keeping busy until December 1st, 1987, when his M.O. would change. Daniel would break into the Gustafsson residence, where 33-year-old Priscilla was at home with her two little ones, Abigail and William. Head of the household, Andrew Gustafsson, was away, working his job as an attorney. Priscilla was described as being a wonderful mother and a sweet and caring person who was dedicated to her role as a church nursery school teacher. She was pregnant with her husband Andrew's third child, and she was really excited to become a mommy once again. The Gustafsson family were avid Christians, churchgoers, and generally just really good people. When Daniel entered their home, the sun was still up. People were at work, children were at school, and for whatever reason, Daniel decided to break into this home that had a pregnant woman and a child present. It kind of makes you wonder if he knew that this would be the case, and he planned it all out. He walked a half a mile from his own home to the holiday-decorated home of the Gustafsons. He broke in where he confronted the very pregnant Priscilla and five-year-old William. Seven-year-old little Abigail was on the bus on her way home from school. 
We don't know the exact details of how the following events unfolded, and we really don't need to. What we do know is that Daniel would push Priscilla into her bedroom, where he beat her and he sexually assaulted her. Once he was finished, he put a pillow over her head and he shot her twice, attempting to muffle the sound of the gun going off. Next, he drowned William in the upstairs bathroom. Then, he waited for Abigail to return home from school, and he drowned her in the downstairs bathroom. He fled the home, leaving behind an unimaginable scene for Andrew Gustafsson to find when he returned home. Just a short while later, Andrew gets back to the house and he finds a harrowing scene. He discovers his wife in their master bedroom, deceased from two gunshot wounds to her head. And again, at that point, it is clear that she has been raped. There were two 22 caliber bullet casings found on the bed, as well as an untouched can of beer. Andrew would say that he didn't look for his children because he was afraid to find them dead, so he ran outside and he called the police. Their bodies would later be discovered drowned in the two-family home bathtubs. It would have been one of the most painful experiences for anyone to ever have to go through. The police were called to the scene and there was a ton of physical evidence to collect, including DNA from the rape kit. Now, DNA technology was not what it is now, but they were able to use it to narrow it down to a certain segment of samples. There was also that unopened beer can, which would have had fingerprints on it, the casings, and a shoe print that was discovered in the flower bed just outside of the house. Daniel was already on the police radar because of the history that he had and because he had just skipped bail two months prior. For this reason, he was near the top of their list for suspects almost right away. They knew that he was behind a string of break-ins in the area. While he hadn't murdered before, and this was a giant escalation in violence, they thought that he could be behind the three killings. Police were keeping an eye out for Daniel. They needed to talk to him about the murders to see where he was and what he knew. The manhunt was on, but it wouldn't take long for him to pop up on their radar again. He just couldn't stop himself. A few towns over, Daniel attempted to carjack a woman and take her in the vehicle. Thankfully, she was able to escape with her life because who knows what he would have done next. Police put out an alert in the area that he was on the loose and he was armed and dangerous. Everyone was told to stay away from him if they spotted him. 48 hours would pass before Daniel LaPlante would be apprehended while hiding in a dumpster like the piece of trash that he is. He was taken into custody where he flat out denied any involvement in the triple homicide. According to him, he was at home watching TV for most of the day before going to his little niece's birthday party. But the evidence doesn't lie. Investigators discovered one of Abigail's hairs located on one of his socks, and this pretty much sealed his fate. But that wasn't the only evidence. There was a ton of evidence in this case. Daniel had even thrown the shirt and the gloves that he wore that night in the woods near the Gustafsson home. There was no getting out of this. It was time to come clean. Daniel recounted the events from that day, according to him. He said that he had actually broken into the Gustafsson home before and he had taken a few things, but he decided to go back. He claimed that he did not expect Priscilla to be home, and he was just as shocked as she was to find her there. He was going to jump out the window and run, but then he remembered that he had a gun on him. 
he pointed it at Priscilla and he demanded that she go into the bedroom and put William in the closet. This is when Daniel tied her up, he put his sock in her mouth, and he sexually assaulted her. When he was done, he put a pillow over her head and he shot her twice before turning his attention to little William who was still hiding in the closet and my only hope is that he did not see what happened to his mother. Daniel said that he couldn't leave the child behind as a witness, so he drowned him in the upstairs bathtub. Now according to Daniel, he was getting ready to leave the home when Abigail arrived back at the house from school. She had seen his face, and so he had to kill her too. And as it turns out, Daniel then in fact did go to his little niece's birthday party, his little six-year-old niece, just as he stated in his alibi. And no one there was any the wiser that he had just committed one of the most heinous crimes imaginable. Daniel LaPlante was charged with murder, and he was sentenced to three life sentences for the three lives that he took that day. When his trial began, he was just 18 years old. And it's difficult to imagine how an 18-year-old young man can progress from petty theft and burglary to rape and the murders of a pregnant woman and two young children. The courts may have shown sympathy for him if he had shown any remorse at all, but he didn't. He was seen smirking during the trial, which is obviously not a good look for someone who stands accused of murder. In the time that Daniel has been behind bars, he has tried to sue the courts, he has tried to appeal his case, and he has submitted numerous special requests in prison. Allegedly, he has converted to Wiccan, and I'm sure the Wiccans do not claim him. And when he was denied items like ritual oils and dragon's blood, he attempted to sue for violation of his rights. In 2017, he tried to appeal for a reduced sentence. It was part of a change in law because he was a juvenile at the time of the murders. Here's a clip of Daniel pleading with the judge in that case. Words cannot fully capture what I have done. My actions have crossed boundaries into the unspeakably heinous. I murdered three innocent people. Because of me, Because of me, a woman was able to give birth to her third child, and I run, I robbed an unborn child of his first breath. A husband was never able again to hear from his family. I loved him. I, I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow, but I am truly sorry for the harm that I caused. In the very essence of who I am, the death of my soul, I am sorry. Thankfully, it was denied after a psychiatrist found that he was not at all remorseful. Instead, Daniel LaPlante will spend the rest of his life behind bars. Middlesex Superior Court Judge Helen Kazanijan said this case does not involve a single act that resulted in three deaths. Mr. LaPlante committed three distinct and brutal murders. 
he killed a 33-year-old pregnant mother and her five and seven-year-old children. He left a family and community devastated. The court finds that the maximum penalty is warranted. And this is exactly what Andrew Gustafsson would have wanted for the person who took the lives of his beautiful pregnant wife and children. Sadly, Andrew did die a very broken man after what happened to him. But before he passed, he made it very clear that he never wanted Daniel to ever see freedom again. And now he has his wish. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're interested in ad-free and extra content, make sure you check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Serial Napper. Or you can check me out on Twitter, Serial underscore Napper. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye. I'm Dean, I'm the dad. I'm Laura, I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn, I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits, we are PG-13. I'm almost 15 now. Don't ruin the commercial. Catch us looking into special topics like the origins of fairy tales, Sherlock Holmes, and the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's corner. But behave you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!